Let's pray together. Lord, by your grace, many of us can sing of your grace in our lives. The story of being rescued by Jesus. And we'd gladly ascribe all the thanks and credit and praise to him. Thank you that he loved us and gave himself up for us. Thank you that the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. We were continually going astray, but now we have been returned to the shepherd of our souls. We are under his care and provision and protection and guidance. Thank you that he's even now interceding for us at the throne. So, Lord, we're just so thankful for Jesus and all he has done for us, all he is doing for us, all he will do in the future. I pray for anyone who is here today who doesn't know Jesus, is not sure where they stand in a relationship with him. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would spring great clarity to minds and hearts this morning. Lord, that those who are your children would be confirmed in that, and those who are not would be convicted that they are not. But it's a work of your great grace to do that. We're blind until you open our eyes. We're dead till you make us alive. We're in the dark until you shine light in us. So would you work among us now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it possible to really know that we are accepted by God now and that he will welcome us into his heaven later? And if so, how can we have solid assurance that we have that kind of relationship? Our text for today addresses those very important questions. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 as we continue our study of this New Testament letter together. 2 Peter chapter 1. Last Sunday we saw three gifts that God has given to us by his grace. He gave us the gift of faith, enabling us to believe in our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. And he has granted us great and precious promises. And the rest of that verse says, So that by them, or through them, these precious promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, that we would display more and more of God's character in our lives because we have been supernaturally born into his family. We have a new heart. We're a new creation in Christ. New things are coming. And so verse 5 starts by saying, now for this very reason. For what reason? In light of what God has given to us by his grace, in light of all that God has done for us by his grace, because all the things in the first four verses are true, 
applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. This is very similar to what we see in Philippians. You remember how Philippians starts? We want to turn over to that. Philippians 1.6 tells us that God says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God has already begun the good work of grace in our hearts. He is committed to continuing that and bringing it to completion. And then when we get to chapter 2, look at verse 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're called to work out our salvation, not work for our salvation, because Jesus has already done the work. He's done everything necessary to rescue us from sin and restore us to God. So we are now called to work out that relationship in our lives because he is working in us. So think of a couple that got married yesterday. They are not more married today than they were yesterday, but today and in the coming weeks and months and years, they are working out all that is involved in that married relationship. They are living out what it means to share life together as a husband and wife. And in a similar way, when we trust in Christ, we have a saving relationship with Christ. We are saved. We're not more saved today than we were when we first trusted in Christ. But the rest of our time on this earth is working out all that is involved in that relationship with Christ, living out what it means to belong to him in all areas of our life, not as a way of gaining God's approval and acceptance, but because we already have been accepted because of Christ. So let me read from John Piper. This is referring back now to verse 5 of First Peter. Probably the most important thing to notice here is that this command is based on verses 3 and 4, which are not a command, but a description of what God has done for us. God's divine power has given us all things that lead to godliness. For this reason, make every effort yourself to be godly. Don't miss the connection. Since God has given power for godliness, strive to become godly. Say with the Apostle Paul, I work out my salvation, for it is God who works in me to will and do his good pleasure. So, because God has worked on our behalf already, because he is working in us now, we are called to actively pursue the character qualities that are listed in verses 5 through 7. And Peter says, applying all diligence or make every effort. So, just a casual, this is no big deal, this is just kind of an optional thing that maybe some people have time for. That's not what he's calling for. He's saying, this is serious. 
Making progress in these character qualities is worthy of serious effort. You need to depend on God's enabling grace to produce these things more and more in your life. So I'll just walk briefly through these. He says, in your faith, supply moral excellence or supplement your faith with virtue. So pursue a life of integrity that's above reproach. And then he says, add to that knowledge. And Peter has a lot to say about knowledge already in this letter. Look at verse 3, or verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then verse 3, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And now here again he's saying, add knowledge. Grow in your knowledge of God and who he is. Grow in your knowledge of Christ and what he's accomplished. Grow in your knowledge of the scripture and all that it says. Peter's going to end his letter with the note, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Christianity is not just a no-brain, just check it out, just feel something or have some kind of experience. It does involve knowledge of truth. And then add to that self-control. You know this is one of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. It's the idea of self-discipline, self-denial, so that we're not just controlled by our anger, but that more and more our temper is being brought under control by the power of the Spirit. Next is adding to that perseverance or steadfastness, endurance, holding up under difficult trials. Remember, 2 Peter is written to the same group that was the audience of 1 Peter, and they're people who are going through persecution and suffering and trials, and so they need to hang in there in that time. Add to that godliness, a reverent devotion to God, seeking to honor Him in all that I do. Uh, Go to Titus for a moment. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So we start off ungodly, no time for God, doesn't, don't give him his proper place in our life. Grace comes and doesn't just forgive us for our ungodliness, but teaches us to learn how to live godly lives. And last but not least, brotherly kindness and love, concern for and commitment to the well-being of others, especially in the family of God. Remember in First John John says, we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. So now Peter makes some conclusions about the presence or absence of these qualities in our lives. First of all, verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you can honestly say, yes, by the grace of God, these things are true in my life. And they are growing more and more. I'm growing in walking the walk and growing in my knowledge and growing in self-control and perseverance and godliness and 
more love. If I can look at my life and see progress in these character qualities, not perfect, not all it could be, not all it should be, but over time, there are increasing. Peter says, you're not useless. You're not fruitless. Or to put it without the negatives, you're useful and you're fruitful. And isn't that what we want to be? Who wants to say, I want to be useless in this life? I want to be ineffective. I, want to, I just don't want to be of any value. And not only that, I want to be fruitless. I mean, you, when you say it out loud, it sounds pretty bad. Especially in light of what the Bible says about fruit. Because just as fruit of a tree is the visible evidence of what the life of the tree is, fruit in the Bible is the visible outward effects that display the inner reality of the heart. The kind of things that show up in a person's life that indicates what kind of person he or she is on the inside. So let's look at a couple texts about fruit. Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. Let's read verses 16 through 20. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. And then go to John 15. John chapter 15, the first eight verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you are abiding in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so... Prove to be my disciples. So when we moved to Sergeant Bluff, there were two trees in our backyard. But we did not have to guess what kind of trees they were. Why not? Because, we're along a little object lesson for the kids here, they were covered with these. So, guess what? It's an apple tree. Now, here's a point we need to understand about how the Bible talks about fruit. This does not make a tree into an apple tree. An apple tree is already an apple tree on the inside, 
And this is just the visible outward evidence and display of the life that's inside the tree. Because it is a living apple tree, it will express the reality of that life by producing the fruit of apples. And in a similar way, the character qualities, sometimes known as Christian graces or the fruit of the Spirit, there's a number of ways to say it, do not make us a Christian. We don't just try hard to do these things and then God will look, oh, you tried hard, we'll accept that effort and and give you credit for that. Those things, those graces, those fruit are evidence that display the life of Christ in us. Don't get that backwards. So then Peter says in verse 9, back in 2 Peter 1, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So if these qualities are missing, things in verse 5 through 7 are missing, those graces are absent, if the fruit just isn't there, Peter says you're blind or short-sighted or so nearsighted you are blind. Either way, you're not seeing things clearly. You're not seeing reality the way you need to see it. We all care very much about our physical vision. If there's something wrong with our eyes, we get glasses or contacts or maybe some kind of procedure done, like I'm looking at, so that we can see as well as we can. And Peter's telling us, if these qualities aren't where they need to be in your life, you have a vision problem. You're not seeing things Correctly, And not only that, there's a memory problem. Look at the last part of verse 9. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. How could anyone forget being cleansed from their sins by the blood of Christ? That's a serious problem. Something's wrong here. And then in light of what Peter said in verse 8, that if the qualities are there and increasing, that makes you fruitful and useful, then verse 9 would mean... If they're missing, you're unfruitful and useless. And so, in light of what the Bible says about fruit, for example, think of the parable of the four soils, or what James says, that faith without works is useless, this is very concerning at best. And possibly means you have never established a relationship with Christ in the first place, which leads him to his application. Therefore... In light of what I just said about fruit and these qualities in your life being evidence of this grace in your life, therefore, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. So Peter doesn't want us to just assume we're good to go or just guess or just hope for the best. He urges us to make sure that we belong to those who were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, to be certain that we are really called to a relationship with himself. Similar to what we see in 2 Corinthians 13.5. If you want to turn to that passage, 2 Corinthians 13.5. The Apostle Paul writes, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, 
Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? This is written to a church. This is addressed to a group of professing believers who are gathered together for worship, just like we are. And he's saying, get this settled. You're either in the faith and Christ is in you, or you're not in the faith and Christ is not in you. So test yourself to see if your faith is real or not. And if you're not sure how to test yourself, go to the book of 1 John, which is written for that very purpose. These things are written to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And these things refers to the different tests given throughout 1 John. So if you're not sure, I would encourage a prayerful study of 1 John and ask the Spirit to convict you if these things are true, if you pass those tests or not. And the importance of examining ourselves to make sure I think can be seen, especially in a passage like Matthew 7. And I said before, you probably heard me say, everyone should lose at least one night's sleep over this passage. And uh, not very long ago, someone told me they had lost several nights sleep over what Jesus says in Matthew 7. This is verse 21. Right after talking about fruits, knowing by the fruit, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So what's scary about those verses is not just a few people are going to be in this boat. Many people are going to be in this boat. And did you notice they know and use right words? Lord, Lord. Jesus is Lord. They know the lingo. They know true teaching. And they're doing some very impressive things. And yet... Jesus says, there was never a relationship. Depart from me. So that should get our attention. Especially if you grow up in a Christian home or going to church a lot, you hear the truth over and over. You know the right answers. You could take a good quiz and pass. How do you know you're not one of these in Matthew 7 that you're going to hear depart from me? That's why you need to test yourself. That's not why you examine ourselves. That's why we need to go through 1 John or 2 Peter and say, Lord, do I have the real thing or not? So we want to make certain about his calling and choosing us. We want to make our calling election sure. Peter adds, back in verse 10, as long as you practice These things, again, the qualities of verses 5 through 7, if that's the normal, ongoing part of your life, you'll never stumble or fall. doesn't mean you won't sin, but that you won't fall away from the faith, but will firmly be established in the faith. And not only that, verse 11 says, For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly 
supplied to you. Jim Shaddix writes this, This entrance into Christ's eternal kingdom won't be any routine or mundane affair. It will be richly provided for the one who lives in a godly way. The divine wealth expressed in the phrase richly provided serves as the reward for the temporal exertion expressed in the phrase supplement your faith. The picture is here of someone extravagantly welcoming a friend who has arrived at his home or of the citizens of a city celebrating the hometown hero who is returning from his triumph at the Olympic Games. So Peter's talking about not just crossing our fingers and hoping we make it in by the skin of our teeth, but by God's grace being able to say confidently with the Apostle Paul, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we close, let's come back to that big question we started with. Am I sure that God accepts me now and he will welcome me into his heaven later? And if God is showing you you don't have a good reason for assurance, a lot of bad reasons to be assured, but you don't have a biblical reason, first acknowledge God really should reject me. I am a sinner and he is a holy God. And so I have no right to think he would show favor to me when I have rebelled against him all my life. Isaiah 59 two says, your sins have separated you from your God. There's a, there's a barrier in our relationship. And I cannot qualify myself for God's acceptance by anything I could do or offer. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all your righteous deeds, all your good stuff is filthy rags. So totally unacceptable before a holy God. So our only hope is trust Christ alone to do everything necessary to save us. Believe his death on the cross is the only payment God will accept for my sins. 1 Peter 3, 18, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead, showing he has the power to save me and to change me. I thought of Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for the miracle of salvation, that you take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. You give us a new heart. Christ comes to dwell in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're different. We're new. New things have come. Lord, it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And so this morning I pray as we look at these texts, the Spirit would be confirming assurance for those you have actually saved, that they would have a humble confidence that they are standing before you, accepted and beloved and welcome. And I pray your Spirit would convict those who have a false assurance, who are resting on something in the past that they did or some kind of response that just hasn't really produced much fruit. Lord, would you convict them that 
they still need a saving relationship with Christ. And change them. Give them a new heart. So Lord, we can't do any of this on our own. It's a miracle of your grace. And so we ask you to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to stand and sing Blessed Assurance. Some of you by grace can sing it. Some of you might wish you could sing it and ask for more grace that God would show you where you are at with him. Let's stand.